Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. No baseball team in Tennessee. But Jed Hoyer was on the score earlier this week. On uh, McNeil and Parkins. Played some of it for you earlier. And uh, it was distressing. It was distressing because it was stuff about the offense in general, about the way that uh, Cubs hitters can be attacked as a uniform group, and stuff from Jed Hoyer admitting that they thought they'd be better by now. They thought they would be an offensive juggernaut by now. They grew up on those teams in Boston. He said flat out, and they thought that by now they'd be killers, and they're not offensive killers. Why not? It's interesting. We spent a lot of time talking about it, dissecting it, and it's part of uh, the larger trends in baseball that fascinate me in terms of launch angle versus contact and how you build a lineup and and whether we're seeing a, a, a change these days or or how that's all working, it's, it's part of the, the endless unanswerable conversation that goes on over and over and over again, which is perhaps why I was intrigued this week to talk to Eno Saris from The Athletic, whose work I absolutely love, and, uh, and I know a lot of you do as well. But, Eno, welcome to the show. How you doing? Ah, thanks for having me. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. I, I love uh, I love that the smartest people in this game very often have to throw their hands up and say, "I don't know." Um, <laughs> and, and we seem to be we seem to be hitting that point um, uh, again uh, right now in terms of development. I think I think I think that's one of the gists of your current piece that I'm referencing. Yeah, I mean, I think that it, it can be really healthy to say that. I mean, if you if you think that you've got it all figured out, even if you do in one for one minute, uh, by the next minute something else is happening and uh, and you're behind if you're if you're stuck in one in one moment. So, you know, I think that's what people will talk about when they talk about growth-minded cultures. They want to build teams that are always looking uh, to learn more and uh, to foster players that want to learn more. It's interesting. Um, so one of the things that I was fascinated by in reading the piece, and the, the title is Why Doubt and Uncertainty Are Crucial to Modern Player Development, is, um, is this, this idea of having guys who kind of naturally have that uppercut in their swing, um, that some of them are, are getting better as they think about chopping down on the ball. And they're not actually doing that, but just the fact that they're thinking about that is 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 kind of leveling them off in a way. And Christian Yelich says that when he started doing that, that's when the ball started coming off his bat in a different way. So he probably just kind of incrementally changed the the arc of it just by thinking about it in a slightly different way. Yeah, it was a, for, something I've heard for the first time uh, over beers with Kevin Euclid, actually, at his brewery. 
<laughs> um, and, and he said that uh, he said that that nobody actually chops wood, even in, you know, even kids growing up, nobody actually makes that movement that you sort of, if you like, kind of exaggerate a baseball swing into chopping wood. He said nobody actually does that. What happens is by saying that you're chopping wood, you kind of get on plane faster. You kind of get you you shorten the back part of your swing and you and you become more compact and uh so it can be a useful cue even though it's not really what we want uh players to do and in fact i bet you that cal schwarber knows a little bit something about it because you know he kind of has that uppercut swing and he struggled with pitches high in the zone um and i think last year was a, a sort of a growing uh year for him where he kind of tried to figure out what to do with uh pitches high in the zone I'm not saying that he's that's a strength of his now, but um, I think he's gotten better at it. Well, he's yeah, I think he definitely has, and we're actually in the middle of one of the more impressive stretches in Kyle Schwarber's career, maybe the most, probably. I mean, the OPS since August 1st, I believe, is over 1.1. He's um, he's had a lot of moments where contact has happened where it has it used to not. He's been moved mm-hmm. up to the two hole in the lineup, and it hasn't affected him uh, in the way that being in leadoff seemed to affect him, and that opens up a whole other can of worms, obviously. But um, right. but the, the Cubs have a lot of guys like that. Don't they? I think they have a lot of guys who have a bit of an uppercut or at least have some launch angle. I mean, even David Bodie obviously moved his contact point out front, and you know mm-hmm. he, he's they have a lot of guys like that. And I think they've struggled in trying to teach them to be more situationally savvy. Uh, how do you teach guys to do that? Yeah, that was something that came up uh, from Andy Haynes, who used to be the hitting coordinator for some of these guys while they were coming up in the Cubs organization. He's now the hitting instructor, the hitting coach over in Milwaukee. And he said that, you know, one of the things that's really interesting is that you want players to feel secure and safe in the minor leagues. You want them to feel like they're, this is a developmental process, you know, not every day. Um, you know, the, the team won't cut them if they, if they go over five with five strikeouts, that sort of deal. You want them to feel comfortable. And at the same time, you're preparing them for facing Garrett Cole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that is not comfortable. And like you you and even if you have like the most perfect engineered, you know, player development branded uh, you know, swing that that in the cage is just perfect and it does everything right and you wear the technology and it tells you, "Yes, you've got everything. You you're you're, you're you've got pro hand speed, elite hand speed, all this stuff." And then you go up against Garrett Cole and if you've had a lot of experience, you know, winning in the minor leagues, you've seen that with like the Royals and even the Cubs and other teams where they they were young and they were winning together in minor leagues. Those teams are prepared often to make the kind of adjustments you need to do in order to sort of just win a small battle against Garrett Cole, you know, and just do what you need to do. It's gonna you may have to slap something the other way just to just to not be facing Garrett Cole anymore. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. I don't know. It, it, there's, all, there's a personal level, right? There's a selflessness um, with it that kind of needs to take place and just, you know, and be okay with just slapping something the other way and knowing that there's other guys to do their job. Maybe that's part of the collective kind of coming up together. Yeah, and at the same time, I mean, the way baseball is right now, it's, you know, hunt the fastball, use your A swing, uh, and you, you get three misses. Uh, but you're you're trying to hit a homer, and it's kind of hard sometimes if you sort of build that uh, approach 
in uh, and 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 you foster that approach across baseball, across your minor leagues and stuff. Mm. Sometimes it's hard to basically have this other swing, you know, you know, have the experience because you were just you were taught, hey, we, we want the homers, you know, yeah. keep, keep keep swinging hard. Yeah, and, and and that's what happens, and that's why you end up with three hitting coaches in three years as you're trying to get that message across. And and the Cubs have Anthony Rizzo, who does that well. You know who's been doing it lately? Ian Happ has been choking up and changing what he does with two strikes uh, quite a bit. And and I don't and know. He had the bad strikeout rate. I mean, he could yep. really benefit from doing that. Yeah, and and I, I don't I don't know if the results bear it out or not, but I can tell you from watching the games, I see the process. Um, is certainly happening. Um, Eno Saris from The Athletic is with us here on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. So what are the Astros doing differently hitting-wise, if anything? Because they have the best contact rate in baseball. The Cubs have the worst contact rate in baseball. And also some of their guys have gotten better. Bregman and Springer, their strikeout rates have dropped considerably, especially Springer over the, the last, uh, you know, how long, as long as he's been in. I, 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 are you aware of any kind of different approach that they have with their hitters? Yes, uh, so I think there's two ways to kind of get your launch angle, you know, and one of them is mechanically uh, to create a swing that uh, that has a path that 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 lifts the ball uh, regularly, and that's that's you know that's a, that's a good way to do it. Except that you can open yourself up mechanically to other uh, problems, like we've been talking about with Schwarber, and uh, you know basically high pitches in the zone. Brandon Moss told me years ago that he had a really hard time with pitches high in the zone because he had that kind of uppercut swing. And, um, you know, that, so that's a mechanical approach. But the, if you look at where balls are hit hardest and where balls are lifted, I mean, it's, it's going to be stupid to say this, but like middle in, like middle up. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, balls down, the, down Broadway get hit hard and get high, hit, hit high in the air. So the other way of getting – your launch angle and your exit velocity is plate discipline. And uh, I think Dave Hudgens, he's no longer the hitting coach there, but I've talked to him a long time, and he just talked about sort of zeroing in on, you know, like places you can do damage. And for a lot of their hitters, they're high ball hitters. Uh, and if you're a high ball hitter, you can look for something high, and then everything low, all those breaking balls low, look terrible. Uh, they just, that's the thing that Aiden Breltry told me. Like if I look for a fa- high fastball, the low, the low breaking ball looks even worse because I'm looking high. Um, and so it becomes easier to kind of spit on low breaking balls. And now the Astros are about to do something that's never been done, which is lead the league in pitching strikeouts and be at the bottom of the league in hitting strikeouts. Wow. It's, it's so interesting. So look, so having high ball hitters and, and having guys who learn to look high and adjust from there as opposed to looking for that one that they want grooved and hoping a pitcher makes a mistake and then getting beat up high. It's, uh, boy, it's so difficult to change that mindset, isn't it? It's a, I wonder if you could, you could summarize for people a little bit of, uh, of the problem that happens in the noise, the noise when you're teaching development, when you're bringing up these developmental concepts to people and even if they improve, you're not exactly sure what has improved them some of the time. Yeah, because I mean, the player development and acquisition process, I think this is, was a really interesting mental exercise that was in the piece. So let's say you acquire a player, you draft them or you trade for them, and you think that they're you know, X amount of good. You know, they think, we think we're, he's like a top 50 player or whatever. 
And we've gotten better at that because we we are able to take the noise out. We can look at their exit velocity, and we can look at their war, and we can look at this, and we can find ways to to basically zero in on how good they are. And we're, there's still noise in that, so we can say maybe we know about 75% sure that he's this good. And then you put them through the player development process, and you throw drills at them, and you have the technology, and you have this, and you do all this. And each of those things that you think you're doing, you say – I'm about 75% sure that these things work, <laughs> each one of these things that we're doing. And then you come out on the other end and you're like, aha, look, he's a better player, you know, because we player developed him. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then you still have error uh, trying to assess how good he is on the other end of it. And so all that error compounds. And so, you know, basically you can do the right things. And basically that's what teams do is they, they, they identify things that seem to have good outcomes and then just do those things. But you never truly know which one of those things worked. Um, and some of those things are probably wrong. <laughs> oh my God, look how complicated it is already. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and sort of trying to figure out what, what is, what is working and what is not. And where does, what what human factors play into this the most and affect this the most? Because I, I, I love that you're not afraid to write about confidence and how, like, the Yankees, for instance, seem to be really good at instilling confidence with some of their players, which can which which can create uh, more of a win in, 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 in player development. I'm not sure. How does that correlate exactly? I mean, it makes sense to me just as a guy who believes in the power of confidence, but, yeah. but, but it's I, about, you know, that sort of safe space thing that I was talking about earlier, people kind of deride safe space. But what we're talking about is like a place where a player feels like everyone is rooting for them. Um, everyone is doing everything they can to be as well prepared as they can be to help you. Um, everyone's on your side, you know, you know, not a kind of place where you feel like anytime you see someone from the front office, they're there to cut you or, you know, trade you, um, not, not feeling sort of paranoid. Uh, so that, that can, that's the sort of, um, makeup of your, of the, or the culture of your, of your player development squad. You want, you want to think that the, the, the coaches are friends with the coordinators. Like you want, you want people that people like <laughs> hmm. uh, in these positions so that people like being around each other and they like working together and it's a good work environment. That's, that's part of it. But then also the player, you know, bears some responsibility too. And, and the, the soft science there is the makeup of the player. And that's just really hard to figure out. I mean, makeup of a player and especially scouting it. Um, are you saying like, he's a nice guy? Uh, you know, are you saying he does he won't be arrested are you saying that, you know, he's, he listens to coaches? What if he has a really coach that he really likes uh, privately that he listens to, and so he seems like he's not really listening, but he's actually really driven, and he, and he, and he has an idea, and he has a coach he likes, and he thinks that that's working, you know? Hmm. Um, so, you know, uh, I think makeup is one of the hardest things, and it's always going to be there, and it's never going to really be reducible to a number. Uh, and it's fun. I mean, that's part of the chaos that that uh, makes baseball unknowable. I think. Yeah, I, I think that I think that's true. And it's um, and I think the best ones at it at really identifying what components there are in that in that bit of makeup. It can be a market inefficiency of its own kind, and even if it's an immeasurable one, right? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, you got if you're cutting scouts, you're cutting your chances of of, of identifying these people that that have plus makeup and will make the most out of what they do. I mean. I think back to how Zach Greinke and Jake Odorizzi were both drafted by the Kansas City Royals, and they're mostly drafted because they both had 
you know, 94, 95 and good sliders. Well, you know, both of them are really good now for totally different reasons. Greinke has plus command and that, and that crazy power change he learned from Felix Hernandez. And Jake Orizzi learned uh, the split finger from, from uh, Alex Cobb while he was in Tampa. And, you know, that means that they, the Royals got two guys that were and very different guys. <laughs> like Zach Greinke is nobody's, like, you know, everybody's friend. You know, he's not that guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's the, you know, he's the, he's a, he's a rough guy to be around sometimes. And then, uh, even his friends will be like, that dude's crazy. Uh, and then, uh, Jacob Rizzi is much, a much nicer guy. Uh, but both of them had that, that, that quote unquote makeup piece that, that made them learn as much as they could about baseball and get the most as they, as they could out of, out of their skills. Boy, that's that. That's it, right there. It's the willingness to be. I guess it's the ability to be self-aware and the willingness to turn the page. I, I, I you know, and 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 the willingness to to implement some things. It's the second time in this in this show I've told the story, but it, a couple of weeks ago asked Lucas Giolito um, which of his myriad off-season changes was the most important. Because to me, I look at you know. The fact that he last year threw, I think, 599 two seam, you know, sinking fastballs, mm-hmm. and this year he's thrown zero, zero. Yeah, you know. Um, so, so I, I look at that and I think, well, that's that's the biggest, you know. But you ask him, and he says, yeah, um, the mental side. He said he said the uh-huh. co- the conversation with his wife was number one, saying to himself, "Well, I've got to try some new things." And then he tried yeah. five or six <laughs> different new things, but it was without that yeah. willingness. Without that willingness, none of that other stuff was going to get tried or implemented at all. Yeah, and it's very difficult. You get to the major leagues, you know, everybody who's gotten to the major leagues was like the star shortstop of their high school team, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they get to the major leagues and they get sorted, you know, into different positions and different level of starness. And it's sometimes difficult for someone to say, well, hey, man, I've been doing this the whole way, yeah. and I was a star there, and I was a star in the minors, and I was a star prospect, and now I'm struggling, and you want me to change it? I think maybe I should just keep doing what I usually do, and it'll work out. You know, last thing for you. I appreciate the time very much. Do you, do you think that we are headed towards um, a, a bit of a shift in lineup construction and roster construction where – you know, the Nick Madrigals of the world or, or whatever, you know, the more contact guys who perhaps are light on power are going to have a place in your everyday lineup, or are we going to continue to try and teach sluggers to be more contact oriented? Uh, that's an interesting thing. I think definitely there is, um, you know, a, a discussion happening now, but how can we, how can you improve our contact rates? How can you improve our strikeout rates? How can we do that organizationally? Um, or do we just need to acquire players? Because some of that, some of the Astros' magic there is that they acquired players. Michael Brantley right. is a is a total contact guy. Um, so they, they and Yuli Gurriel, who they they signed from Cuba, is contact guy. So th- some of that's just player acquisition. Um, you know, Luis Arias um, in in Minnesota. Even they have wings uh, Estudio there. Um, you know, you know Jeff McNeil. Uh, these are the kind of guys I think of when I think of plus plus hit tools and contact rates mm-hmm. at the same time though you know joe panic you know represented that back in the day and uh just didn't have enough oomph on his hits to have some doubles and and have some power um and didn't really have a great glove and you're seeing now that he's kind of slipping into maybe a, a backup type of uh, role yep uh going forward so you 
people do want the contact, but you got to have representative power. It can't be uh, can't be a zero in the power department. I remember that we used to talk about guys who like, oh, the, the power will grow, and I I, yeah. I I think I think we might get to a point where where uh, a front office might say, you know what, I think I can take a contact guy and teach him power easier than I can take a power guy and teach him contact. Yeah, and I think that is probably true because if there is some secret sauce in hitting that may never be uh, teachable, I think it's that hit tool. I think the hit tool is the heart. It's like almost the makeup of hitting. It's like uh, your hit tool, I, I, I just it doesn't seem like something you can totally teach. You can maybe help them have their bat in the zone longer hmm. and do certain things like that and help them get to a good position, prepare them for the way the pitchers are going to attack them, stuff like that. But I think there's a little bit something in there uh, that's unteachable and that separates people. Uh, see, that's funny. That that reminds me of like w- when the Cubs traded Danny Vogel back, and I remember Jed Hoyer saying, "Well, we know he's got the hit tool. We know he's got the hit tool, and so maybe he'll hit, but uh, we just gotta worry about other other stuff." Oh yeah, oh he does have the hit tool. <laughs> yes, he, yes he does. Um, you know, thanks, man. Really enjoyed the conversation. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. You got it. That's Eno Saris from The Athletic. Um, I will tweet the link to the piece about development um, that Eno wrote, which I thought was so interesting, why doubt and uncertainty are crucial to modern player development, that you have to admit and own the doubt. Um, You can tell why a guy like me loves to talk to Eno, because he's perfectly willing to discuss the human side and the safe space and, and, and really what it is to be teachable, um, what it is to, 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 to be in an environment where you can learn things and can grasp things. And boy, it's just fascinating to think about. In this piece, he talks about how Cody Bellinger um, was one of those guys who sometimes in batting practice, he will, uh, he, he will think about Switting, swinging down on the ball the way that the way that he used to, or the way not he used to, but the way the players used to, and because he has so much natural uppercut in his swing, that even just the thought process of swinging down a little bit levels him off, levels him off a little bit. It's what Christian Yelich said. His coaches told him to swing down on the ball, and power ensued because Yelich is a line drive guy, but. You know, the power has shown up because of this. He says, you find this mindset, it's coming off the bat like it really hadn't for me before. Your body doesn't actually do what your mind thinks, but it is a way to get there. 670, the score is where you are. Looking at the uh, lineup for the Chicago Cubs today as the Chicago Cubs are getting ready to play Milwaukee in just a few minutes here on the score. It is John Lester. Uh, against Adrian Hauser for the Brewers. And this lineup is Ben Zobris to lead off. Kyle Schwarber hits second again. Nicholas Castellanos third. Anthony Rizzo fourth. Wilson Contreras back in there hitting fifth. Jason Hayward sixth. Addison Russell at shortstop batting seventh. And David Bodie is your third baseman hitting eighth. Chris Bryant with a day off. Um, after uh, after some struggles, and with uh, what we've heard is a bulky knee, a little bit as he is, uh, and certainly trying to find it again after a very frustrating Cubs loss last night. We'll see what happens today in the finale against the Brewers. Um, again, I, I, a reminder that they are just one and a half games ahead of the Arizona Diamondbacks for the final wild card spot. 
final of two wildcard spots in the National League. As the Diamondbacks are absolutely on fire, have won 11 out of 12. And uh, the Brewers and the Phillies and the Mets, among those teams behind the D-backs, making a charge as well. But really, the team to worry about right now in that sense is Arizona. The Cardinals up three and a half games right now in the division after they won. Was it 10-1 to the final? It was pretty darn close to 10-1 to yesterday. I want to thank everybody who was on the show today. A lot of guests today. You know who was on the show? I'll tell you. Chris Kampka, at C. Kampka on Twitter. We thank him so much. The Sultan of Stat from NBC Sports Chicago. Um, we spoke with Dave Max Crawford at Total Pro Horns on Twitter. Uh, Max also operates some of the digital scoreboards at Wrigley, and that was the conversation. I know a lot of you enjoyed that. Appreciate that very much. Talk to Matt LaCour, the high school coach from Harvard Westlake, who was the coach of Lucas Giolito and Max Freed and Jack Flaherty. All three of them in high school together enjoyed that conversation. All this stuff will be up on the podcast at Hit and Run. Um, I dragged George Hoffman into the studio for a couple minutes of conversation as we talked about seasons of 30 homers and 100 RBIs. Um, also, just spoke with Eno Saris from The Athletic. And again, I'll tweet out that link to the article in just a little bit. Thank you to Julio Rousseau for producing the previous 26 minutes of Rock'em Sock'em Radio and not being too distracted by the Dalvin Cook touchdown to continue and produce the show. Thank you to, uh, to Chris Dickens for just, you know, his general oeuvre, his, uh, his overall joie de vivre, if you will, and I know you will. Thank you to Zach Withers for his fine work producing the bulk of the show. And uh, thank you to Mitch Rosen, the executive producer of just about everything here on 670 The Score. Cubs baseball is next with my man Zach Zaidman. Keep it right here. Have a great Sunday, everybody. It's Matt Spiegel saying farewell on 670 The Score. Gusto es mío siempre, socio. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.